One of the processes I used to go through was I used to, first of all, I used to visualize being someone in the crowd. I don't really judge people out there. In fact, I feel in awe of them. I think, well, good on them for getting up there and doing it. If I was coming from a place of judgment, it's more of a reflection of me as opposed to them. Mm. In fact, whenever I see someone getting uncomfortable, I think to myself, what an awesome thing to do. Hey team, welcome or welcome back to the Uncomfortable Is Okay podcast. I'm your host, Chris Desmond, and this is a show where we make it easier for you to get out of your comfort zones. So today I'm chatting with Wellington or Hutt local, Carl Hammington. Carl is a health and fitness practitioner. He's been in the industry for about the last 15 or so years. He specializes in exercise and conditioning but has a particular interest in wellness and employing a holistic approach to what he does and in, in improving the health outcomes of, of clients. He is one of the directors of the Best Me community. He is also one of the, the owners of the Health Fit Collective here in Wellington. He's host of the Best Me radio podcast as well. And one thing that I love about Carl is his passion for ongoing learning and his, his curiosity about new ideas that he, he never stops taking in information, but then actually going and applying it as well and testing it out to make sure that it works. So today, Carl and I cover off a lot of topics, actually. We talk about developing a sense of self, and in particular with being a, a male in New Zealand growing up in the, in the 80s and 90s, and how our sense of self has, has developed around that. We talk about his time as a bodybuilder and how much fake tan he went through. Carl tells us a couple of funny stories about his bodybuilding career. We talk about overcoming the fear of public speaking, the importance of having fun when you're doing anything. We talk about some of Carl's ideas around parenting as well and how he tries to instill values and also teaches his daughters. And we talk about why we shouldn't look at anything in isolation and whether that's any aspect of health or anything that we're doing because everything happens within an environment and everything happens within a context. And that is, that's super important with health, but also with life as well. But before we get into the chat, today's episode is brought to you by Uncomfortable Media. And as part of Uncomfortable Media, what I'm doing is taking things beyond the podcast and providing some services for people to assist them to get out of their comfort zone a little bit more strategically. And the first way that we're going to be doing that is through the surmount course here in Wellington on the 13th of October, and there's still tickets available for that. So what that is, is that's three hours with me sitting down, working on figuring out a direction to get strategically out of your comfort zone, heading towards a challenge that you want to be taking on. And it doesn't matter if you don't have this challenge yet, that's something that we can, we can come up with strategically together. If you already have a challenge that you're working on, but you're struggling to overcome the discomfort of getting started, again, this is this is a good thing for you to be popping along to as well, uh, because we'll work through shaping a plan around going from where you are now to where you want to be and what you want to be doing, and most importantly, identifying all of the roadblocks and the obstacles and the discomfort that you're going to face along the way, and putting some plans in place 
around navigating or overcoming or avoiding those obstacles and some strategies that you can use when you do get uncomfortable because doing anything worthwhile is is hard but there are things that you can do to make it easier for you including figuring out how to build your own community around you to support you to do this and one of the most exciting things about this is that we've partnered with the team down at Floatwell as well as well as the workshop you get a couple of floats just to help process all of the discomfort associated with taking on a challenge whether that's to get your thinking a little bit clearer or whether that's to bring things back down and chill out a little bit after an intense uncomfortable period of time so if that sounds like something that you're interested in then you can head over to surmountcourse.com that's s-u-r-m-o-u-n-t course.com and you can grab your tickets there i'd really love to see you along at that but with that out of the way thank you so much for getting uncomfortable with carl and i today Carl Hamilton, welcome to the Uncomfortable Is Okay <laughs> podcast, mate. How are you? I am very good. Not too uncomfortable at this stage, but I'm sure we're about to go there. Yeah, not just yet. Not just <laughs> yet. And I mean, Carl, you host a podcast yourself, actually. Mm-hmm. Do you notice that sometimes you put on like a podcasting voice when Definitely. you do it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, one of the reasons I started the podcast, as I've shared with you in the past, is because the even idea of, of being on a podcast or, or public t- uh, speaking was probably my biggest fear um Mm. so yeah i noticed the first few times i was on and i interviewed other people i sounded very scripted um and that probably most of the first season actually i released and i said oh let's just keep it raw you know check it out there and see how people respond to it and i went through that painful process of listening to myself as well um (laughs) that's awkward for probably the first 20 yeah (laughs) and you just kind of stop caring what you sound like yeah yeah so i think in short yes but i try not to be so much now okay good 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 i'll come back to that topic of public speaking but i mean carl where are you from where were you born where'd you grow up mate yep i was uh born in the the great sun valley out in upper heart there yeah nice (laughs) nice up the heart yeah (laughs) up the heart that's actually the tagline i think it it is (laughs) yeah yeah so i was born out there born and raised Moved into Wellington when I was a student and have basically been here ever since. So I haven't actually, I've traveled around a bit, but I've always been, you know, stationed in Wellington. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And you said you were a student, like was it college or what was you Yeah, no so, um, no, so I went to college out in the Hutt as well. And then university. I had a really interesting transition actually at, uh, at college. Actually one of my biggest regrets actually, when I was in seventh form, I was sort of progressing down two paths I was doing really well in two areas in fact I was you know getting you know straight A's in these areas as well and one, one was uh, graphic design and art so the creative side mm. and the other side was you know physical education and you know biology and I actually I broke my hand playing sport I broke and dislocated my, my right thumb which was my my artistic hand mm. and I can remember the the teacher at the time asked me challenged me to say to actually start drawing with my left hand and start creating with my left hand and at the time I was so proud and you know I wanted to be perfect so badly at the time whatever that means that I wasn't willing to take that risk so I basically stopped doing my art and design I still passed but I I wasn't really in it I didn't really try so I carried on down the uh, the physical education and biology route and that sort of steered me into exercise science and yeah did my I moved uh, to Wellington to study at Massey University 
and I did a diploma to start in exercise science and then I did a, a degree in sport and exercise there majoring in prescription and yeah had a, had a really really inspiring lecturer who sort of pushed me and challenged me a lot and sort of made me stick around and here I am today. Awesome. <laughs> what were some of the challenges that the lecturer gave you? Um, he, he was, <laughs> I think he ruffled a few feathers in the education department up until till I'd say the second year of my degree. I was doing well, but I wasn't doing fantastic. I just, I was a little bit disheartened actually. Like I found that most of the stuff we're being taught was regurgitated crap from the seventies, like very linear, almost boring, repeating, regurgitating textbooks. You know, I know there's a, you know, you need to understand the science, which is really important. But he came along and he challenged us and he asked us to actually research something in depth ourselves. So, you know, how to actually read a study, how to go out of our way to learn about a certain subject. And he also challenged us to look at what we thought were conclusive results from multiple angles to pick it apart. So basically got us to be curious Mm. and, and actually taught us to learn as opposed to just regurgitate yeah and I think that's that's one of the challenging things as well and you mentioned kind of the the topic of perfection Hmm. earlier on with it and you how you wanted to be you wanted to be perfect and I think I don't know about you but I think part of that stems from kind of the way that we were taught because I mean we're we're both Kiwi males sitting here in our 30s yep yeah yeah so we kind of grew up in the 80s and 90s when the kind of educational model was still learn your times tables yeah get your grades yeah sort of thing yeah yeah and you and you aim towards that that kind of perfection side Mm. of things and maybe we explore that a little bit more Mm. with you but finding a teacher or a mentor that generates that curiosity is amazing oh forever forever grateful dr bobby chima actually okay Um, shout out to to him he he was on my my podcast as well recently challenging some of the statistics around aging actually Mm. so really really fascinating guy but coming back to the perfection definitely something i grew up with was i call it superman complex Mm. so not wanting to show sort of a chink in the armor and i thought that you know if i could be perfect in certain areas of my life then or not show that i was anything but perfect i should say in certain areas of my life then that would make me a you know a good role model good person and maybe maybe i was searching for some sort of um, external validation i don't know Mm. not being so open and vulnerable and actually accepting yeah i'm not you know perfect in this area like i can actually do work and and actually understanding that maybe perfection doesn't exist as well as another thing yeah and i think that was something that i struggled with as well when i was growing up is was that the fear of failure that fear of mm. losing face if you did something that wasn't or even if you kind of if you tried to do something and then didn't hit what you expected or what um what other people expected of you yeah that sometimes it was actually better not to try. It was better not to do that thing <laughs> yep. so that yep. you didn't run the risk of, of losing face. And yep. I mean, sometimes I catch myself doing that now. Mm-hmm. I'm like, mm-hmm. why it's am weird. I not going for this? Is yep. it because actually I don't want to go for it? Mm. Or is it because I'm scared of losing face in front of a whole lot yep. of people? And yep. it, like, was that a similar thing for you? Oh, or? Um, I, that's why I laughed 100%. Mm. I can remember not purposely not entering in... 100 meter races when I was at college because I was scared of not winning yeah so I never did it so yeah. I, I'll never I, I'll never know now whether I was gonna you know whether I could have actually won a 100 meter race or not because mm. I just I, I was so scared of not being the fastest yeah isn't that crazy yeah yeah it's interesting like mm. I uh, thinking about kind of <laughs> PE games like yeah. softball 
for some reason, like I played cricket and I was a reasonable cricketer, but for some reason in PE, I just couldn't hit a softball. So all I would do is they'd pitch it, I'd just bunt, I'd run to first base. Yeah. And just because, yeah, if I, if I swung wildly, mm. I'd just never connect for some reason. Oh, I've got an interest. Yeah, same sort of thing with cricket for me, actually. I started to achieve really well, really young in, in cricket, but it was interesting because that came from a point, from a position of joy. I used to love playing it when mm. I was a kid and I really enjoyed it. And I found myself the first 11 cricket team at a really young age because I did really well through enjoying the process, I guess. I just enjoyed hitting the ball and running around and scoring runs. And, and then all of a sudden when I got to first 11, I, I started to think it was so serious and mm. I was one of those guys that were you know, one of the best in the nets, but as soon as I get out onto the field, I put so much pressure on myself to achieve that I'd often premeditate a shot and you know, get myself out. And it became a really yeah, non-pleasurable experience, eh? and, I, and my results went down. So <laughs> as I got older, I got worse, and I ended up leaving it because it was such a, you know, so mentally and psychologically taxing on me. Yeah, I think mm. like with anything where we kind of set, out, set those expectations on ourselves, to perform like you can do really really well in practice because mm. that that extra layer of of pressure isn't there that i mean there's enough kind of sort of performance anxiety in the nets or kind of when you're when you're training for mm. something because there's unpredictability with yeah. it but when you kind of add that extra layer of expectation and often those expectations are self-imposed aren't Definitely. they yeah. When you put that on top, like there's the, the concept of optimal anxiety, where yep. you hit that hit that point where you get just get into a flow state, you're you're running kind of firing on all cylinders. But if we layer too much expectation and too much pressure on ourselves without being able to handle it, like mm. when you're a 15, 16, 17 year old schoolboy, yeah, you just start to go down the other side of that curve, yeah. and yeah. the overwhelm happens. And that's uh, exactly what happened. Eh? Anxiety kicked in, and all of these expectations came to the forefront and it was completely self-imposed like my parents were really supportive and they wanted me to enjoy it but I really wanted to be great at it at the time and when I wasn't performing so great I think it even it deepened those those layers of expectations and it became really hard to step out of that mindset at the time obviously I wish I knew then what I know now around you know managing that state but yeah I didn't at the time I mean, when did you get to the point where you realized that that was a problem and that was something that needed to change? In terms of in life in general? In life in general, yeah. yeah. So, oh, it's quite a long journey. It, took, it takes me a while. We've, got a, we've got a while here, mate. <laughs> yeah, in some ways I'm a slow learner. I kind of knew it was a problem for a while in terms of cricket. With public speaking, probably you know, something very similar. Yeah, in terms of getting uncomfortable when I... <laughs> So basically I carried on playing cricket for a while, I left, I, I carried on with my, my rugby career and once again I was in the first 15 reasonably young and when I started going to university after school, we, after a really successful year playing rugby as well, I thought oh I'm just going to have a, a year of playing rugby just for fun and I got asked to trial for the premier team which I didn't expect to make and I just went in there and had some fun and I actually made it and all of a sudden rugby became <laughs> serious again. Yeah. I injured my knee pre-season quite badly and tore my ACL, my MCL and medial meniscus, I think it's called the unhappy triad. Mm, mm. Good fun injury. It's not, a, it's not a nice one. No, no, it wasn't so nice. So from there, one of the, I started on a rehab journey and obviously a lot of that involved, you know, gym work. And that was sort of my first introduction to, you know, gym training at the time. And 
yeah, I just found that I, I started to you know see some you know, initial results, and then a gym trainer came up to me and he said, "Hey, like, you like you've got quite a good physique. Do you wanna do you wanna try this bodybuilding show coming up? You know, next year. I think you'd do really well." I was like, "Okay, sounds cool." I think I was searching for a bit of achievement at the time mm. in the physical realm, and yeah, so I got into bodybuilding. Actually, competitive bodybuilding, and <laughs> one of the Probably after this point, I'd find it hard to be embarrassed too much more. But <laughs> so before my first show, I got asked to do a, a basically a posing session in front of a, a university. I was actually a Wellington Polytech, sorry. And there's about 40 students in the room. And at, say, at that time, I didn't have any posing trunks or anything, which, you know, it's a different story. So I had my little, my little light blue undies on and I was back in the, the changing room, you know, warming up, getting ready to come out and strike some poses um, in front of the, uh, <laughs> why the did, like Why did they want you to pose in front of these students just for... So it was a bodybuilding lecture. So it was like okay. a guest lecture. So we came, we talked about what bodybuilding is. You know, I was obviously at the time all natural, like what how, how my sort of life looked in terms of nutrition and yeah. training okay. and things like that. It wasn't just some ran, <laughs> random students. No, 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 no. no. It was for... Uh, I think it was about two classrooms combined. Okay. First and second year, I think. Yes, yeah, so I was backstage and I, I washed my hands. Splash. Yeah. <laughs> you know what's going to happen. Eh? Splash water, light blue undies right down the front. Just as that happened, knock, 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 Carl, it's time to get out there. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, I don't know. So, I tried the whole dry it off really quickly yeah. under, under the blow dryer <laughs> and so I literally had to walk out there in front of you know 40 50 students whatever stand on top of a table uh, a couple of desks and I said this is not what it looks like <laughs> sure I washed my hands and this is a result and I could see they felt embarrassed for me I can't I can't beat myself up about this <laughs> I've just got to get on with it I've got to do what I'm here to do so could you imagine wet patched in the front of light blue undies Arms up in the air, showing off my muscles from the front, from the side, from the back, you know, for about a good 15 minutes, squeezing my muscles. Yeah, so after that, I thought, okay, if I can stand up in my undies with a wet patch, show off my muscles in front of, you know, 40, 50 people, I could probably do most things okay. And I, I just found it a really useful experience, actually. And after that, obviously, when I did get up on stage, as much as I don't really so much agree with bodybuilding these days and I think it's got some harmful side effects but for me I actually learned a lot through the process once again I got to nationals I won nationals twice I did an international competition I placed there as well so I was used to standing in front of people with lights on me in front of in the end hundreds of, of people you know showing my muscles off mm. so after that public speaking didn't seem so bad and I think I picked up some really interesting tools from those experiences yeah yeah what sort of what sort of tools did you really take away from those yeah I guess one of the processes I used to go through was I used to first of all I used to visualize being someone in the crowd mm -hmm. so I go well I don't really judge people out there in fact I feel you know in awe of them I think well good on them for getting up there and doing it if I was coming from a place of judgment it's more of a reflection of me as opposed to them mm -hmm. in fact whenever I see someone getting uncomfortable I think to myself what an awesome thing to do you know they're willing to put themselves out there be vulnerable and they're willing to fail as well so I put myself in that sort of scenario from the spectator's point of view and after that after I sort of managed to reset my mindset around it and, and say look I'm doing this for myself not for everyone else go out there and actually just enjoy the experience yeah mm. cool and I think like that's that's something that is 
quite challenging that when you're up in front of a lot of people and you see everyone's eyes on you mm-hmm. and I think I like part of it is kind of the, the the evolutionary psychology of being there by yourself yeah in a crowd looking at you which is which is scary <laughs> at a lot of you yeah, as yeah. Well. yeah, yeah. <laughs> literally everything yeah. you might say if you see and it's all trains. it's all kind of glistening as well yeah um, <laughs> it definitely is. yeah i mean we're, we're evolved not to enjoy that that we want to be part of the crowd but as you say like if you are someone that is sitting in the crowd then sometimes you're not even paying attention to what's mm. happening up on stage other times you're you're enjoying it and mm. I mean sometimes you might find oh what's what's this guy up to this is <laughs> yeah. a little bit this yeah. is a little bit weird yeah. but for the most part those thoughts don't particularly linger that far after the experience that no. you're that you're having there exactly that you probably got to be a bit of a dick if you like you, you harbor well someone else's you, failure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah if you harbor that for a long period yeah. of time afterwards so yeah that's a that's a very cool way to to look at it and i think yeah that's something that i try and remember as well mm. the undian incident where you kind of <laughs> you began to realize that hey i don't need to be perfect to be good yeah and i can tell you what i'm, I'm pretty sure they remember that experience you know so oh, yeah, if they, yeah. they learn something from that it's <laughs> great yeah yeah they'll probably remember always, it for the hilarity yes always test the water pressure <laughs> stand off to the side yeah yeah so with the public speaking kind of moving on from that why did you i mean why did you particularly want to get into public speaking after well i guess i, I had a really good mentor when i got into personal training actually dave leo and who is another <laughs> podcast guest in my last one actually and he he's just an awesome guy but we did a lot of work around you know purpose and vision and legacy and things like that and I realized that I really did want to make a you know positive impact and I had mm. a very clear idea of you know where I wanted to go and to get a message out there to as many people as possible um, the way to do it was not necessarily one-on-one it was actually to reach out to more and part of that was you know public speaking developing content developing seeds i guess as opposed to just um you know a process so people can you know spread them as well mm-hmm. so you know how, how was i going to reach the most people and and i had some great experiences through attending certain courses as well so someone like you know bobby capuccio for example i still remember seeing that guy on camera presenting and if you've ever seen bobby capuccio present it's an experience and you remember what he says same with bobby chima my my mentor at university he delivers a message with such passion that you know you remember it and it, and it lasts so I, I feel like those are the ways you can you can really start to you know spread your your message or help help uh, more people you know it's through public speaking and it was a i've got this natural inclination to be drawn towards things that i find uncomfortable <laughs> so yeah, for example, I said I'd never, I'd never do a skydive because you know why would you risk your life like that for for ten seconds of joy? Mm. And as soon as I said that, I was like, okay, now I have to go and do a skydive. <laughs> so I did it. <laughs> you yeah. know, so um, it's sort of like a demon. I felt like I needed to to confront. Okay. Yeah. 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 I, I like that. No, is that an attitude that you've always had? Is kind of seeking out the discomfort, or is that something that you've kind of tried to develop in yourself? Not so much at school. Like I said, when I went through school. I guess after a couple of those forced experiences, like the the bodybuilding experience, Mm. I've had a couple more, uh, many more since then. And I realized how much I had grown 
I sort of went, oh, maybe I should do this more often. Maybe I should get uncomfortable more and, you know, put myself in those sort of painful experiences, both physically and mentally, to an extent. <laughs> Obviously, there's a cutoff point with the physical pain, but yeah, because you just grow so much, I, I believe anyway, if you've got that ability to, you know, reflect. But So I think it came from those university days. Yeah, yeah. And when you were doing some work with your mentor, kind of when you were starting to think about purpose and vision and legacy, yeah. because, I mean... That's big, yeah. That's quite big. That's yeah. a big concept. Yeah. I was only 20, 20 years mm. old then, so um, I'm forever grateful for that. And is that something really, that, that you kind of felt that you needed to pursue at that time, or was that a seed that was planted in your head by by one of your mentors? Well, I was... I was really lucky, actually, when I came into personal training, um, as Dave was, he's a, he's a very holistic wellness practitioner. He runs his own physiology lab over in um, Australia now. But he came at it from a, a very similar angle to Bobby Chima, my, my lecturer. But he was living more, less in the academic world, even though he was, he was a lecturer as well, actually, mm. but more actually delivering content to, to trainers and also putting it into practice with practitioners. Uh, sorry, with uh, his clients. So he sort of had a little bit more of that practical knowledge. Mm. And he was getting some incredible results at the time. So I was like, well, like like always, I kind of want to be at the top of my game in my, my industry as well. So who better to learn from than someone who is at the top of their game and still manages to remain there, actually. So I guess I took what he said very seriously. And I could tell that he had that clear vision in himself. And he was you know acting in line with it too. And he was getting some... You know, making some serious headways and he was happy he was healthy great family does have a great family great relationships with everyone around him so you know someone that I guess I looked up to mm. and I mean if we if we move on from that because I mean you have obviously had a wee while to uh, work on these <laughs> too, and, too many years and, since and, and develop them <laughs> we won't say exactly how many but it's not good. what is your purpose what's your vision yeah so it's, it's physically manifested actually in a couple of different ways so health fit collective is one is to deliver to create a, a, an actual physical center where we can address or the individual as an individual and prescribe you know exercise mindset work nutrition and dive into other people's deeper layers as well in, in one center which is here in, in fact we we don't only just see people one-on-one -on -one, we deliver content throughout the country we also do a lot of online content as well for people overseas too so we're actually able to spread you know, wellness globally which is great uh, i'll go, come to the actual message so best me was my little creative side project and that, that evolved from that classic sort of 10 week 12 week challenge thing that mm. pretty much every trainer does or every gym does every year and i did it successfully for for a few years running but I always felt like there was some missing links there. So I actually pulled on a psychotherapist um, to help out with the, the process as well. And then I got a naturopath nutritionist on board and we just got results like I'd never seen before. Every single person that entered in it had changed their life. And in fact, they didn't just change their life for the better, they changed their family's lives and their, their friends' lives as well. So they started spreading you know, the goodwill and the, the good messages as well. So that's evolved into Best Me Radio, which is now my podcast. <laughs> So that's how it's physically manifested, but my message basically is to empower the individual to step into their best self on a daily basis uh, through providing information, inspiration and tools, and that comes in many different forms as well. Excellent. And for, for myself personally, <laughs> so if I was to come back to you know the deeper layers, is I guess for me, 
that comes down to that gives me a lot of when when I see people do that that gives me a hell of a lot of uh, good feeling and goodwill I feel like that empowers me to learn more it empowers me to become a better person as well uh, on a daily basis as well so from a selfish standpoint it actually makes me feel good it makes me feel like more of a yeah happy healthy human yeah yeah and I mean I don't think that there's anything that is kind of purely just altruistic that I mean if you were doing if your mission and what the stuff that you're doing impacts people in a positive way then it's so much easier to jump on board with it and there is as you say there's a like there's a selfish component Mm. to helping people as well is that you feel good about the results that they're getting and that gives you positive feedback and you think yeah "Yeah, I'm an I'm an awesome dude yeah yeah, Um, exactly but that's not a bad thing yeah at all and yeah sometimes it's kind of I mean yeah if I, if I was honest as well like I've got I've got two girls now but, you know two little uh, beautiful little girls which I'm very grateful for and you know I want to provide a good future for them as well mm. not only you know a stable sort of base but also I want them to experience these things that I've experienced at a at a younger age so you know those uncomfortable experiences that I wish I'd experienced earlier I wish I hope they get to experience that too I guess to do that then I've got to actually create a you know a future for myself and for them to and also provide those information and tools for them to and i mean that that kind of ties nicely into the next part the legacy that you want to want to leave is what is what are you is your thinking around that so yeah i had this it was an interesting exercise that yeah my mentor asked me to do this was a long time ago but i still remember it and it was okay (laughs) begin with the end in mind and if you were sitting in, sounds really negative to start, but if you were sitting in on your own funeral, you know, who would you want to be there? What would you want people to, to think about you? What would you want people to, to say about you? What would you want people to remember about you as well? And I was like, wow, I haven't really been confronted with that, you know, before. And there was a couple of people that, that stood out to me. And I know that I'd, I'd only have good feelings and good thoughts about them when they pass. Um, obviously, I'd be upset as well, but... And one of them was my dad, uh, just a, he's a really just a good human being. And I was like, okay, that's that's kind of where I want to, to be as well, because that's how I want my kids and the people that I love to feel about me too. And hopefully hopefully a wide range of people also. So that's where that came from. And yeah, the legacy I wanted to leave behind was knowledge and information, and hopefully a little bit of uh, wisdom through experience, but also through learning from other people's experiences too. Because I think wisdom and storytelling are lost a little bit in today's society. Yeah, I, I agree with you there as well. And I think it's all very kind of short form. Can I have the the one amazing secret that will change your life forever? Um, yeah. Rather than, okay, here's a wide array of things that I need to be working on to step into my best self and this is kind of what I need to start to learn and start to understand mm. about life and start to understand about myself. So, I mean, the the stuff that I see you doing is <laughs> it's definitely not that kind of clickbaity one quick one quick <laughs> secret, or maybe it's the one quick secret to make uh, amazing sauerkraut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's only a couple of secrets. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can probably get away with it there. Yeah. What, what I want to ask you though as well, Carl, is that y- you want to instill these tools in your daughters as mm-hmm. well and kind of teach them to, to step into these, mm-hmm. these situations. And I mean, how do you think about that and kind of how are you doing that from a practical perspective? 
Yep. So, yeah, that's an interesting question, and that's something I had a discussion with, with with someone recently, actually, on another podcast. But yeah, one of them definitely is to you know challenge them on a you know daily basis. So that is actually challenge them to be a little bit uncomfortable rather than running away from from fears. And obviously, I'm not going to force them into anything, but I want them to actually when they have had a challenging experience, and I've, you know, I've gone through this process with my oldest daughter, Brooke, a few times. My youngest daughter is only, she's just about to come up to her second birthday, so not so many of those uh, <laughs> processes yet. But you know, when she has these situations where she's feeling a bit you know, self-conscious or something hasn't gone so well, actually just take a little step back and reflect on that situation. And rather than running away from it or developing fear patterns around it, perhaps you know, trying to learn from that experience. So for example, you know, Brooke had been avoiding a couple of friends because she was scared that they didn't like her uh, anymore because one of them was mean to her. And I just challenged her around that and we went through this big discussion and we came to the conclusion that by her being a nice person to them anyway is going to be, you know, the right thing to do because, you know, how does she feel when someone is kind and unconditional, uh, unconditionally loving to uh, her? And she's like, well, it makes me feel good. So, well, that's what you can do anyway. You know, and she chooses not to, you know, to respond in a, in this way, then that's fine. You don't have anything to lose. You know, you're only going to make friends this way. Even falling over, hurting yourself, like, does it actually hurt or is it a, is it an inbuilt, you know, response? Is it actually an opportunity to learn again? So I think one of the best things I do with my daughters actually is just get them out into nature. And I think there's so much to be learned from nature. So, you know, Brookie was feeling a little bit sensitive one day and I took her outside and she slipped over and, you know, started crying. And I said, well, it's a little bit of a white lie, but said, every time you slip up, every time you hurt yourself, you know you get a little bit stronger. And she's like, do I? I said, yeah. She said, she said, even when I bleed? I said, yeah, yeah, you do. And you'll learn not to take those same footsteps again. You'll learn how to be a little bit more balanced when going downhill. And she's like, oh, I should probably fall over more often then, eh? <laughs> well, you know, maybe not, but, you know. just Strategically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so just reframing sometimes is one of those other tools as well. Yeah, yeah, and mm. I mean, yeah, a big part of what you're talking about there is, as well as spending some time on that reflection mm. too, and and kind of instilling that is an important habit to to yeah. do. And I think, I mean, even in our lifetimes, which um, we, we probably sit on the cusp of being called millennials, yeah. um, we're not quite. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to work out where we fit in. Actually. Yeah, yeah, it's not. Um, yeah, we're, we're not quite there, but <laughs> I mean, we we're kind of one of the last generations that knows what life was like without the internet mm. as well, and the. the pace of change has just kind of accelerated since yeah. since we've been since we've been alive and i think it's just going to continue to accelerate with that much stuff going on that much potential information and, and that we can pull in and things that we can be doing it's really easy to stop reflecting and stop taking that time because the reflection in itself is quite an uncomfortable process yeah because if you've if you've done something that was hard, or if you're if you're avoiding something, you're like, well, I can just scroll through social media, or I can flick on Netflix, or um, mm. and sit on the couch and eat junk food. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's all these vices. Yeah, that's yeah. comfortable. That's more sort of I, I get those dopamine that's, kicks yeah. rather yeah. than confronting this. How do you have like a habit around reflection, or how do you yep. set that so, up for yourself? Generally, it comes after an emotional peak, I guess. But actually, in terms of those other, you know, addictive sort of devices and technologies around us now, we there's something we try and limit, actually, um, just on a side note there, because I, I have noticed a direct correlation between more time spent in front of the TV or 
the devices, then the, the more unsteady the emotional sort of state mm-hmm. is afterwards. So you know, we do spend a lot of time outside and we do get our kids involved in, you know, making food and playing and actually just interacting with other human beings as opposed to technology. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. So those are things that we, we are very, very um, aware of. And I've actually forgotten what the question was. So that, I mean, how, do you, how do you structure reflection time for oh, yourself? Time. Yeah, for myself. Okay, so I have done it through meditation in the past. A lot of meditation. But now there's a few ways I do it. I do it... I mean, I've, I've integrated it into my program. So I guess it's something I have ingrained in myself to an extent. So I feel like I'm, I'm I, at certain segments of my day I'm actually really practicing being quite mindful so when I eat <laughs> mm. for example this is just a really simple one do I actually, am I actually aware of where this food came from how it got from earth to table for a start is it food I actually enjoy is it food I know that nourishes me how do I feel while I'm eating it and how do I feel after I eat it so I reflect on that sometimes because you know, we get caught up on the hamster wheel of life those are some things that we um, you know when mm. we neglect I do the same through movement as well, actually, quite often. Definitely, I always make time. I literally schedule in some time in my diary to reflect on different experiences. doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, they're uncomfortable, but they're different. So if I am, yeah, for example, actually, this was uncomfortable as well. I, I presented in Melbourne recently to the biggest crowd I'd ever done. I think it was about 650 people I presented to. And it was just after the keynote speaker. And I had cameras on me and, you know, microphone and, you know, it was, you know, lights on me. It was, you know, once again, it brought back those memories of the bodybuilding days. But I knew in advance that was going to be quite a unique experience. So I actually scheduled in some time both at the event. So just, I went for a little walk afterwards and actually just said, oh, how did that go? I think it went pretty well. Like, how did I feel? I actually felt really energetic and really positive. How can I repeat that? And how can I carry over some of those principles into everyday life? So there were a few things there I could have learned from and then actually I was forced into it with the airplane flight as well so rather than watching movies I actually just jotted down a few things mm. that I learned during that process and are they kind of the main questions that you ask yourself as you go through a reflection process or do you have some other no, ones that I, you... sometimes when I do meditate on it actually I sort of go through okay how does it how does it manifest in you know many different forms so how does it actually feel emotionally I check in with my multiple brains, so my, my gut brain, my, my solar plexus or my heart brain, and then my head brain as well. So, you know, I look at you know how courageous I was, for example, for my gut brain. I look at how compassionate I was for my, my heart brain, how that made me feel emotionally. And then I looked at um, how creative, you know, I might have been or how, what, what was cognitively going on in my, my brain there as well. And when you're looking at that stuff, is it kind of analyzing how you felt with each of yep. those, those yep. things. So it's, it's interesting. There's a few things. So um, definitely how it felt. So, mm. you know, what actually, what, how did the emotion, how did the emotions center themselves? <laughs> Sounds very um, <laughs> eerie-fairy. But um, if you look up Grant Susalu's work, the multiple brain integration work, it's mm. incredible. So it's where neuroscience sort of meets this um, ancient wisdom, I guess. How it actually physically felt. And I, I actually look at what sort of language comes up, actually. So what words are floating around. And if I'm talking out or writing it down, you know, what language is coming up when I'm actually checking in with these, these centers or, or even with an experience as well, because you can sort of start to pick that apart a little bit too. Yeah. And the language that comes up, does that kind of relate back to the different, the different areas yep. and, and you see how it was actually 
kind of focusing on creativity mm. more than compassion with that or is that yeah well generally it's for me anyway I like to I found that the best decisions I've made in my life and I've been really well aligned with those three those three brains so my gut brain my heart brain and my head brain for example that I went through that process when deciding actually I got I got offered a study scholarship overseas and I was looking at doing masters and a PhD or I just got presented with the opportunity to open HealthFit Collective with um you know three other colleagues and I sort of went through the process, you know, how, how, you know, how does the gut feel? How does the heart feel? How does the head feel? And I was going, I found out I had what they call a neural integrative block. And I was going basically straight from my, my head to my gut. So I was going, okay, what, what makes sense to me? Like, um, mm. what's the, what's the logical thing to do here? And then, then I was starting to act on that, which is the, you know, the courage coming from the gut, but I actually also around that time funnily enough I had a few gut health issues as well so I don't know if that was because I was maligned or, or what but and I wasn't actually addressing what was going on in, in my heart how I was actually feeling about that whole situation and in the end it was a you know, no pun intended a no-brainer <laughs> like you know my heart was definitely set on opening this place but also you know this is where my my family is as well this is where my my daughter my daughter is and was at the time so you know, to uproot and go over to a, another country or another location was going to be a really, really challenging thing for my emotions. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And that's a, like, it's a great example to see the kind of the different integration there. Mm. And while you were talking about that, it's just, it's just got me thinking like a, a few months ago, we were lucky enough to have a, have a baby boy. And I was kind of, I've been thinking a little bit about how do I want to show up as a dad mm. and how do I want to what sort of stuff do I want to instill in him yeah. as he grows up and I was actually I was I was floating one day and I kind of I'd set myself a bit of a, that, that question to, to jump into the tank with and I came out and like I had three I had three values that I wanted to try and instill into him and I wanted to keep it reasonably simple mm. but kind of a high level as well so we can kind of there's a bit of play within it and the ones that I came up with actually were kindness curiosity and courage oh there's a yeah. there's, there's a three there's a there's and I was like oh that makes sense well yeah what they say are the three highest expressions of the brain is um, courage um, compassion and creativity so mm. it's basically the same thing it is isn't yeah, that yeah. fascinating yeah 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 it's, <laughs> it, it's weird it's weird and no it's, it's interesting it's in uh, you see it you start to see it everywhere like I was reading The Wizard of Oz the other day to my, my youngest daughter mm. and it's you know the lion wants a heart wants some, yeah. sorry wants some courage so um, you know that's related to the gut brain yeah. Uh, the Tin Man wants a wants a heart, and the Scarecrow wants a brain. Mm. So you know, obviously, there's some interesting you know values in that. I think it is. It's fascinating. Mm. So the the multiple brain integration is the stuff to look up to. It's to pretty. Find it's out pretty more cool stuff. That. Yeah, okay. it's pretty cool stuff. Cool. I found it really useful. Yeah, anyway. yeah. I'll, I'll definitely be looking at it, and uh, yeah, encourage everyone that's listening to do it as well. Mm. I want to. I want to. Sp- been things are a little bit with you Carl um, mm-hmm. because you guys are doing some pretty interesting stuff here at the moment around epigenetics yeah. yep can you I mean there would probably be a couple of people listening that have heard the term but can mm. you kind of give us yep. a, a brief a cl- overview a cl- notes yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> summarize in two sentences okay. so um, yeah we have an epigenetics program that we run through Helfer, the PH360 program but basically what epigenetics is, is um, epi literally means uh, around, uh, like an epicenter. So it means around your genes. So what we used to think was, you know, genes were our sort of, you know, our blueprint. 
you know, they were sort of, they were determine how we're going to be, what diseases we're going to die of, you know, how we're going to perform athletically, cognitively, things like that. But what they found is our lifestyle factors actually have the ability to switch on and off certain genes through a couple of different mechanisms, actually. So literally everything you do, everything you think, everything you eat, every, every way you move, on top of, you know, the way that you socialize, your physical environment, and the emotional state, all of those things will actually have a cellular or genetic effect on your body at that time. So, yeah, basically the system is it captures what your genes are, what genes are switched on and off, are you expressing yourself in the best way possible, and then what lifestyle factors are best for you and what priorities in terms of taking action are going to be best for you at this moment in time. Very interesting. Yeah. And like, I've heard it kind of described as that, I mean, your genes are the gun. Genes are the gun, yeah, yeah. but your actions are the... Yeah. lifestyles are trigger. Yeah, yeah. Other, other bullets yeah. that are loaded in there. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, how, in the scheme of things, where's the science at with the stuff at the moment? Like, is it relatively new? Or? Uh, no, apparently it's been around... I mean, if you look at Dr. Bruce Lipton's uh, work, for example, I think it's been around since the 1950s, okay. 1960s. Yeah. Don't quote me on that, but go and check it out. Um, it's been around for a long time, but the term epigenetics was coined off the top of my head in the 1940s, I think it was. So we always, or we have known, or the science world has known that, yeah, there's there's something beyond genes. Mm. Um, there's a lot beyond yeah. genes, and, and everything we do has an impact on yeah. that. And is there uh, is there quite a lot of new stuff coming out around that at the moment in terms yep. of new discoveries and kind of out new ways of thinking about it yeah yeah some really interesting ones so there's a lot of twins studies and mm. and mice and uh and long and long uh, sorry and in, in humans but more through observation that when you put you know twins in different lifestyle or different environments you tweak a couple of environments and certain genes express themselves in utero is really interesting as well there's some really interesting rat studies where bpa um, was fed to the the two identical mother rats that were both impregnated by identical twin fathers as well <laughs> I'm sorry from the same father yeah they found that when one was supplemented with I think it was B12 folic acid and zinc certain genes were expressed in completely different ways and you had a, a reasonably lean rat that came out with a, a slick dark coat that displayed different sort of behavior patterns where the other one that was not just lived off a normal quote-unquote rat diet <laughs> um, um, came out uh, obese um, with a blonder coat and displayed quite different behavioral um, issues but interestingly they actually you know we carry a big genetic lineage from our ancestors as well and they've actually managed to activate certain ancient genes in chickens, for example. They've actually managed to tweak certain factors or change the environment slightly to bring out teeth in chicken again and, and bring out feathers in reptiles. So it's uh, yeah, it's a pretty interesting... It's fascinating. That sounds mm. dangerous, though. Chicken, <laughs> yeah, I know. chicken are vicious, man. If they've got teeth, they will mess you up. Feathery lizards and uh, <laughs> yeah, teeth yeah. chickens. Like, God, the tuatara's are flying at me. Um <laughs> Yeah, and it's a fascinating it's a fascinating area, and I think it's going to be a, a very important area moving into the future. And I mean, there's the, there's a prediction that cancer rates and it's I think it's at least New Zealand males, but I think it's in New Zealanders are going to increase by fifty percent over the next fifteen years. Which I mean is a is a massive burden for our our health system. Yeah. But when you look at that data and that kind of rate of change with it, 
it can only be environmental factors that are causing that problem is that I mean the the hereditary nature of of cancer is there's a kind of a familial history mm. with it but mankind doesn't evolve that that quickly no. yeah but our environment has so yeah. it's yeah it's a big mismatch there eh? yeah it'll be interesting mm. to kind of create that knowledge for people so that they can and hopefully for societies as well so that mm. we can make better choices as individuals oh, yeah. but also make better choices as societies. Man. I feel like epigenetics has been the missing link for a while. Like we tend mm. to, especially in my industry, and probably you know cross over, crosses over into yours as mm. well. You know, we make these blanket statements. You know, all of a sudden, you know, um, a low carbohydrate diet is good for everyone, yeah. and then next thing, ketogenic diet is good for people, and then vegetarian diet is good for people, and then we find out that high intensity high intensity interval training is the best way to go. And then we find out that no, steady state cardio is the best way to go. And actually resistance training, no, has a best effect on our, our bodies. But what we're, what we're starting to understand a lot more now is that, yes, those things are all right, but for the right person at the right stage in mm. their life. And that's, that's where this has been really good just to cut through some of those, um, you know, those paradigms. Yeah, and I think as you say, like there's a lot of stuff that is the, the best thing ever. And it's, yeah. the studies that are done on those kind of modalities for want of a better term hmm. targeted at specific populations in specific environments at specific totally. points in time totally. so yeah as, as you're hmm. saying this is right hmm. but is it right for everyone is it a blanket statement hmm. that we can kind of impose on on everybody and I, I liken it in my work as a physiotherapist I, I work with a lot of people that have persistent pain yeah and pain is a really interesting topic of mm. uh, of discussion and it's a really interesting scientific area because That's we nice. know a lot more about pain than we knew 50 years ago mm. but if we look back in 50 years time at <laughs> what we know now yeah. We're going to just think, bloody hell, those guys were we in the dark ages, eh? <laughs> and I think that's that's correct for most areas of our mm. lives. So mm. it's like with those kind of sweeping blanket statements, I think everyone needs to take them with a grain of salt yeah. that, hey, yeah, this is this is something that might be good and it's potentially worth, worth my while investigating yeah. and, and testing out on myself. But mm. it's, it's not the be-all and and end all with totally. it although you totally. do need to go out and get out of your comfort zone yes there you go totally. sweeping statement well, there, there, are, there are a few right like I think that's definitely one that most yeah. people could do but at the end of the day we're not designed to eat a, a truckload of processed food or a truckload mm. of sugar for example no mm. one has evolved to, to live off that stuff well yeah. um, everyone's designed to move you know, most people people could probably move a little bit more yeah, yeah. so sitting at a desk for you know 10 hours a day is probably not going to serve you well and sleep you know, yeah, sleep and actually dealing with your or investigating your stress relationship are probably things that most people could probably do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's <laughs> those kind of big four or five that <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah exactly. sit, sit well with most people. Yeah. yeah. And you guys also run a program when you yep. you were talking about challenges before, yep. and yep. and part of it is like, and I think probably the most important part that you were talking about was trying to create more awareness for people around the decisions that they're making mm -hmm. in terms of their, their health and their lifestyle. And yeah. I'm assuming, and correct me if I'm wrong, that, that, that your programs tend to focus the more big picture stuff that, hey, these are the big areas that you want to look at. Yeah. Yes, Let's sneak into them. Yeah. So once again, this was sort of the evolution of the classic 12-week program. Uh, we have little challenges that we, that we run. We've got one coming up soon. 
And yeah, that's exactly right. We try and stay away from the whole, you know, fad diet for eight weeks, yeah. you know, drop 20 kilos, um, do this high intensity interval training. Um, we actually focus in on actually creating hopefully a healthier and a better human. So we have a lot of education around it. We have a lot of mindfulness integrated into it as well. And we actually investigate the whys behind the goals as well. Because as you know, you know, when you connect with mm. your why a little bit better and you understand that sort of deeper deeper calling behind it, then it's more likely to be sustainable. Yeah, it makes um, it much easier to deal with the uncomfortable situations and the obstacles that that's come that. up if you know why why, why you're doing it, it. and yeah. especially if you're like having an internal why is, is good but having that sort of external why is hey I want to leave a le- legacy for my sons and, yeah. and my daughters and yeah. I want to play with my grandkids mm. as well it's, yeah so that's the powerful stuff eh? Mm. yeah so we do a lot of that and actually we have a point system set up it's taken a long time actually to create this but we've got a point system set up around rewarding the process as opposed to just the outcome you know where a lot of other sort of programs mm. reward who loses the most weight in the yeah. shortest period of time? Who looks as most looks sexy at the beach? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. I mean, you look back at my bodybuilding career, and um, <laughs> unfortunately, there's still a few photos floating around on the internet of it. But and you'd look at that person at that time and go, "Man, he must be healthy." But actually, in reality, it's probably the most unhealthy I've been in my life mm. at that stage. So yeah, just because you look good doesn't mean you're uh, you're healthy and you're you're happy either. Exactly, mate. Exactly. In terms of the kind of creating the decisional awareness for people, I mean, mindfulness obviously plays a, a big part in that, but how, how else do you cultivate people increasing their awareness around the decisions that they make in their life? That's a good, really good question, actually. Definitely mindfulness is part of that, that we practice. But again, coming back to what we just said before, actually understanding what perhaps that person's wires behind their goals, because that will, well, it should, once you've got enough of a deeper emotional connection to it, should actually help consciously and hopefully after a period of conscious decision making should drive better decisions moving forward as well mm. so actually taking that time and we've got a little um a little sheets we use with people sometimes and we say okay you know when you drink that coffee within an hour how does it actually how does it make you feel on a scale of one to ten you know is it better or is it worse <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I know what I am. I'm, I'm way better and I'm yeah. way worse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah, that, that's part of it, actually having a physical tool. And actually, we have a lot of accountability systems set up as well. So, if you're committing to a goal and your why, we have regular check-ins. We have some little recording sheets that we use. Mm. But we hopefully, through some of our workshops, we install some of those those tools so people can actually you know apply them in everyday life moving forward as well. Yeah, and I think like as as you're talking about there, one of the things that I'm picking up is the again that reflection, mm. and it's that kind of enforced reflection until it yep. becomes a habit is is one of the biggest mm. the biggest things for mm. that, so that you understand yourself better with yep. it. Yeah, I think so. Mate, yeah. um, it's been a wicked chat so far. <laughs> we could keep talking for for hours on end. We could. Well, I'm sure that we'll we'll need to do a few more of these. Yeah. But I have some questions that I like to ask everyone at the end of the conversation. The first one is, what was the last uncomfortable thing that you did, and how did you get through it? The last uncomfortable thing I did was that talk in Melbourne. That was only a few weeks ago, and I didn't tell the full story. Actually, I was backstage and I had this uh, anxious energy. So, because I knew there was, you know, obviously a big crowd and I, I was feeling really good, but I, was, I almost had an abundance of energy. So I didn't want to come <laughs> charging out um, hot and heavy. So I actually, I actually did some exercises. So <laughs> back behind the curtains, I was, you know, doing some push-ups and some animal flow movements and did a little bit of jumping actually and some shaking before I went out there. And uh, yeah, I felt, felt great. 
going up there. So it was the most uncomfortable I'd felt in a while, uh, which felt really good. Yeah, yeah. And then just expending a bit of that mm. nervous it's, energy. It's, I've got one coming up on Friday as well. I'm interviewing a guy I've always wanted to talk to, and that's Paul Check. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. And I know that guy can go super deep. Mm. Uh, and we're talking <laughs> spiritual wellness, which is an area I've always sort of haven't been so clued up on. So I'm a bit nervous about yeah, that. So yeah. I guess the way I prepare for that <laughs> is do as much research as I can, get as much knowledge in my head, and then do some state management work around um, actually just keeping calm and enjoying the process. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm. Good. Are you going to be in the same, you're not going to be in the same room no, as him, no, no, so no, you'll no. be able to sort of do some squats while he's yeah, talking yeah. or something. <laughs> yeah, good. I might sound a bit distant a few times. Yeah. <laughs> just rush back to the <laughs> microphone. Good, good. Carl, what's the next uncomfortable thing that you're going to do and why is that uncomfortable for you? That will definitely be one of them. That's on, on Friday. What's the next big one? Oh, so with this eight-week challenge, I am going to share my, my journey with this as well. And I'm going to get deep because I don't think people are vulnerable enough. Mm. So I'm going to share a little bit more of my inner workings throughout the process as well. So, and hopefully that encourages other people to, you know, to be a little bit more vulnerable too. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a, that's a big thing as well. And that's part of the reason it's evolved into part of the reason why I do the podcast as well and, uh, and try and share reasonably honestly is that when you, you kind of sit there and no one talks that much about the deep stuff. Mm. So it's really easy to, to get to the point where you think, well, I'm having these feelings. Obviously, there's something wrong with me that I feel worried and anxious and uncomfortable about this, but everyone else just seems to be insta-crushing it. So um, <laughs> I obviously, I need, to, yeah, I need to... <laughs> <laughs> just kind of sit on this and try and figure it out myself but actually if you can share honestly your mm. your journey or part of your journey it, it creates the opportunity and almost gives other people permission to start to say well actually this guy's gone through the same sort of stuff that I that I have or mm. even if they haven't gone through the same stuff they've gone through some challenges as well so maybe I can talk about these these challenges that I'm having and and try and yeah figure my way through them as part of a part of a community yep. rather than just by myself yeah 100% yep. mitigate that or offset that load eh? yeah, yeah yeah exactly yep. exactly we've talked a lot about it already but do you have any other strategies that you use to approach uncomfortable situations yes for me it's controlling the controllable so I know that when my overall wellness is good, so if I'm well well slept, I'm well hydrated, I've eaten you know the right food for my body and I've moved, then I can manage stress far better. If my physiology is out of whack because I didn't sleep well, because I've been caffeine fueling, mm. if I've been eating more inflammatory foods, you know, but more processed stuff, then I know that I'm not going to be as resilient as I'd, I'd like to be. So for me, anyway, yeah, I need to get those things right if I've got a big uncomfortable situation coming up. Awesome. That's a great strategy, actually. It's <laughs> not one that a lot of people talk about on the podcast, so good to, good to hear it. Carl, I've got two more quick questions for yep. you, mate. But I just want to say thank you for, for sharing some time with me today. It's been super enjoyable to, to chat oh, with yeah. you, as, it's as, been a long as time always. Coming. It has been, it has <laughs> been. But I want to say thank you as well for all the work that you do to help people to step into the, the best version of themselves. And I think it's, it's really important, and there's a it's kind of starting to be a, a mindset shift around kind of the way that we operate it as a society. So it's very cool that the work you're doing to help change the mindset of people in, in that area. So thank you, mm. mate. Oh, mate, that uh, means a lot coming from you. So and, and, and I can definitely 
mirror that back at you. So oh, thank, thank you, you. Yeah. especially from the physiotherapy side too. It's pretty, pretty awesome approach. I, uh, I appreciate it. Easy question for you now, mate. If people, if <laughs> is, people, there, is there such thing? <laughs> yeah, if people are digging on your stuff, where can they go to find out okay. more about okay, you? I can answer yeah. that one easy. Yeah. <laughs> Healthfitcollective.co.nz or bestme.co.nz. Instagram, bestmecommunity, one word. And same with Facebook slash bestmecommunity. So you can check me out there. Cool. Sounds good. Slightly harder question to finish off yep. with. Do you have a challenge to leave me and the listeners with this week? Yep, I, I challenge you to physically do something that you haven't done to, since you're a child. Maybe Good. something playful. Yeah, yeah, I'll have to. Put have yourself th- back into your child self and, and think about I'll it. I'll have to have a think about that and I'll, I'll let you know and maybe I'll try and video it for everybody. That'll be great. There mm. you go. But no, thank you for that challenge. <laughs> Carl, thanks so much for getting uncomfortable with me today, mate. Thanks for making me uncomfortable. <laughs> Well, there you have it, team. I hope you enjoyed the chat with Carl and I today. I have a feeling that Carl is going to be a future guest again on the podcast. There's a lot of stuff that we just barely scratched the surface on, and I could talk to that guy for hours. So if you want him back on the podcast, send us a message, leave us a comment on the social media, and I'll get him back sooner rather than later. If you like what you heard, make sure that you click subscribe on your favorite podcast app so that you get some awesome episodes coming at you every week. Share this episode out with your mates. For anyone that you think might find it valuable, it helps with the visibility and the visibility is actually a weird word in this context since it's an audio format. I'll find out what the right word is to use. But yeah, it helps get the podcast in more people's ears and hopefully helps more people get out of their comfort zones and start to to find the magic that they're looking for. As I mentioned at the start, this week's episode is brought to you by Uncomfortable Media and the Surmount course, strategically getting out of your comfort zone and learning the strategies that you need to overcome the obstacles to take on any challenge. Jump over to surmountcourse.com, that's S-U-R-M-O-U-N-T course.com to grab your tickets now. I would love to see you at the workshop. Thank you so much to Jyland for all your efforts, mate, in terms of editing the podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you, as always, to my brother Jeremy Desmond for the amazing theme music. He's an amazing musician. If you ever get a chance to, to check him out, make sure to do that. And most of all, thank you guys for sitting down, well, doing whatever you're doing and having a listen to Carl and I having a chat. Thank you so much for getting uncomfortable with us today. 